0: What does motion sound like? With Kizikans free shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com/socks. Welcome to the serialized audiobook Nocturnal by number 1 New York Times best-selling author Scott Sigler, performed by Phil Giganti. This novel contains adult situations, violence, and is meant for mature audiences. Nocturnal is available in print, ebook, and unabridged ad-free audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit ScottSigler.com slash nocturnal.
1: Chapter 61. Susie Panos Pookie stood inside the apartment, looking down on Susie's body. She was on her back, eyes wide open, an expression of shock etched onto her still face. Something had punched a half-inch circle through her chest and into her heart. Her pajama top had been driven into the hole as well. The blood-soaked fabric lined the newly exposed flesh and bone. Outside, patrol cars blocked the street. An ambulance had already arrived, but the paramedics had made quick work of declaring all three bodies dead on the scene, and all three as homicides. Crime scene investigators were on the way, as was someone from the M.E.'s office. Such insanity. The things Pookie had seen. The jumper. The guy with the mask. Isaac's head turned the wrong way. Hard to process it all. Alex Panos was poison. Whoever wanted that kid had followed him here, and now his mother was dead because of it. Pookie looked up as Brian walked through the apartment's shattered front door. Brian paused to look at the exposed white wood where the hinges had once connected, then down at the cracked door lying on the living room carpet. He seemed to mentally catalog these things, then walked over to join Pookie at Susie's body. I called in a bolo on the perp, Brian said. Really? Pookie said. And how did you describe it? A guy in a green cloak, maybe six feet tall, carrying a bow. That about right? Pookie nodded. He kept staring at Susie's corpse. Maybe she wasn't the best mother, but she'd tried. She didn't deserve this. Sammy and Jimmy are here, Brian said. Jimmy is down with the bearded guy. Sammy's on his way up here. Brian knelt next to the body. She looks really pale, he said. Maybe like she's lost a ton of blood. Brian was right. Pookie had seen the corpses of people who had bled to death. They looked a lot like Susie. Brian pointed to the hole in her chest. Who did that to her? A guy wearing a blanket and a mask came out the window and chased Isaac up the fire escape. Maybe the guy had just finished doing this to Susie. Brian nodded. This the same guy that twisted Isaac's head the wrong way? Could be, Pookie said. Either him or the bowman. You'd have to be strong to break someone's neck like that. This guy with a mask. You sure it was a mask? Not now, Brian, Pookie said. I can only handle so much of this shit at one time, you know? Brian held up his hands, palms out. Easy, Pooks, easy. Just tell me what the mask looked like. It looked so disturbing, my balls hit inside my chest. Was what Pookie wanted to say, but he didn't. Ever see the pictures of those plague masks doctors wore in the Dark Ages? I think so, Brian said. Long, pointy nose that points down. Kind of like a beak. Yeah, Pookie said. Kind of like a beak. Brian pointed to the hole in Susan's chest. Something stabbed her there. You think this mask could have been strong enough to do that? Pookie knew what Brian was getting at. How likely was it that a hooked beak mask could punch through a chest? About as likely that the fake teeth of a werewolf mask were strong enough to rip off an arm. Pooks, Brian said. I know I'm the last person in the world who should ask a question like this. But are you sure you saw that Bowman jump across the street? The world record long jump is something like 30 feet. The space between the two buildings is at least twice that. I know what I saw, Pookie said. Believe me, I wish I hadn't seen it at all. I don't know a damn thing about archery, but that guy hit the perp from across the street, ten stories up in a rainstorm at night, and he put the shot right over your shoulder. Brian nodded, unless he was aiming at me and missed. Pookie thought back to his brief shootout on the rooftop, to the cloaked man pulling two guns and blazing away. He'd had Pookie dead to rights. How could someone be that good with a bow and that bad with a gun from point-blank range? The answer was, he couldn't be. He hadn't killed Pookie because he hadn't wanted to kill Pookie. The archer wasn't aiming for you, bri He was aiming for Bobby Pigeon's killer. Brian's eyes narrowed. Are you saying that since the guy is Bobby's alleged killer, It's okay to put an arrow in his heart? Did I say it was okay? Ryan stared, then shook his head. The Archer is just another murderer, Pookie said. Far as we know, he killed Isaac, too. It gives us one more person to look for. Rex, Alex, and the Archer. We have to focus and get what info we can, because Robertson could show up at any minute and kick us out of here. Sammy Burzon walked into the room a metal case in each hand. Fellas, he said. Never a dull moment with you two around, eh? Jimmy is heading up to the roof. I got seniority, so his bitch ass gets the rain. Boom. We're done with the stiff down on the sidewalk. Shot through the heart, and who's to blame, right? Sammy's head rocked back in a silent laugh. We found a cell phone on him, but it's a prepaid. I'll have the boys start running the call history, but don't get your hopes up. Pookie knew that Sammy was right. The phone would probably reveal nothing. Perps were smart enough to buy prepaids with cash, meaning there was no personal information associated with them. A prepaid phone calling only other prepaid phones left almost no trail. The only thing they were likely to get were GPS locations of calls made and received that might reveal a pattern or possibly produce a specific place to investigate. Get us call locations as soon as you can. Pookie said, "What else you get off him?" "Nothing yet," Sammy said. "We're done with him. Hudson, the hotness, has him now." Brian's head snapped up. "Robins down there." Sammy nodded. "That's a fact, Jack." Brian started walking out. Pookie followed him. By the way, Sammy said just before they exited the broken door. Whichever of you two comedians called in a bolo on a guy in a fucking cloak should watch out. Robertson just canceled it. He said someone was in deep shit for playing games in a murder scene. Brian snarled, then turned and walked out. The assistant chief of police had just canceled a bolo on a murderer. Pookie wanted to be shocked and outraged, but he wasn't that surprised. He was just too damn tired to get fired up about it. Pookie took one last look at Susie Panos. She tried to save her son, and in doing so proved an old adage. No good deed goes unpunished. Chapter 62 Post-Killing Scene Robin Hudson knelt next to the body. To her right, streetlights danced off rainwater that flowed fast down the gutter. The water spilled into a thick iron grate half-clogged with leaves and bits of trash. Bubble lights flashed from stationary cop cars, casting red and blue glows against the buildings in the wet black pavement. Sammy and Jimmy had set up portable lights to illuminate the body. They had put up a little tent over it as well. Just four poles with no sides and a peaked roof. The kind of thing you might see at a street fair. A light breeze snapped at the tent top. The rain had soaked the victim long before they'd put up the tent. Beads of water stood out on his thick beard. His blue jeans looked nearly black from the wetness. An arrow shaft stuck up out of his sternum. Water had diluted the red stains surrounding the shaft, turning the blood-soaked white fabric a diluted pink. Robin was about to start her examination when she saw Brian and Pookie approaching. The pair had been first on the scene. Again. It was getting to be more than coincidence. She needed to find out exactly what was going on. Robin, Pookie said. Don't you look official? She started to ask him what he meant. Then she remembered what she was wearing. Oh, the uniform? Pookie nodded. No sloppy windbreaker for you, I see. Just like the Silver Eagle. She smiled and looked back to the body. Yes, she wore the formal M.E.'s jacket, even though the windbreaker was an acceptable option. If Metz felt the uniform was an important part of the job, then so did she. And besides, she liked brass buttons and the gold braid around the cuffs. Brian knelt down next to the body. Robin couldn't help but look at him, at his green eyes, at the dark red hair that looked rumbled and ratty, the way it had when he'd spent the day in bed with her. Then she remembered that there was a corpse on the ground between them. How blasé had she become. This wasn't the time for a love connection. Pookie leaned in. Long beard, wife beater, hatchet. He fixed Verdi's description perfectly. Robin pulled out a collapsible probe. Verdi's report said Bobby shot his killer at least once. That was a few hours ago. She slid the probe under the tank top's left strap and lifted. Take a look, fellas. Aside from the arrow, there's no bullet holes in the chest. I don't think this is the guy. Brian stared at the body. He seemed so distant, even more so than normal. Whatever ordeal he was going through, it had gotten worse. Maybe Bobby hit him somewhere else, he said. Maybe, Robin said. I'll be able to tell when I get him on the autopsy table. Brian reached out and gently took the probe. He dragged the tip lightly across the arrow's feathers. As soon as he did that, Robin saw what had caught his attention. Real feathers, she said. Aren't they usually plastic? He nodded. I think so. He looked up at Pookie, who leaned over both of them. Don't most arrows have plastic feathers? Pookie made his pfft noise. Why are you asking me? Do I look like a Fletcher? Brian's eyes wrinkled in annoyance. A what? A Fletcher, Pookie said. A dude that makes arrows for a living. Brian shrugged. Maybe all Fletchers are pudgy Chinese dudes for all I know. Pookie rubbed at the belly that stretched out his white button-down shirt. Nah, there's only so much of that sexy to go around. bo I'll be shocked if this isn't Bobby's killer. What's the status on the blood samples taken from Rex to Provdychuk's house? Already running, Robin said. They came into the morgue with Bobby's body. I also started running Rex's sperm sample, so we'll know if the blood is his. It's not, Pookie said. He nodded toward the bearded corpse. It will match this guy, and I bet it will also match the samples you took off of Oscar Woody. You think this man killed Oscar? Probably, Pookie said. He tried to kill Alex Panos, so odds are he whacked Oscar and Jay Pillar as well. It seemed obvious when Pookie laid it out. I'll start this guy's tests right now with a machine we have in the van. You should have all three results in about an hour. Brian nodded, then slid the probe up the feathers again. Pookie took the probe and did the same thing, as if he just wanted to see for himself. Maybe this arrow is custom built, he said. The way that guy shot, I'm guessing he doesn't buy his archery supplies from a discount bin at Dick's Sporting Goods. If we find out who made this, maybe we can find out who bought it. Robin, how soon can you get it out of his chest? She leaned in, turning her head this way and that to examine the wound. She lightly touched the notch just above the feathers, then gave it an experimental push. The shaft itself flexed a little, but the arrowhead didn't move a bit. It's in there good, she said. I'm going to need a bone saw to get it out. Shit, Brian said. How fast can you make that happen? First Zhao had rushed things, then Verdi, now Brian and Pookie. It was their investigation, but it was her job to do things correctly, methodically. Guys, Sammy said there's another body upstairs and a third on the roof. We have to get all three in the van and take them back, so I'm going to be here a while. Pookie knelt. Now all three of them were low around the body, as if the corpse were a small campfire on a freezing night. Pookie looked around quickly to make sure no one was near, then spoke quietly. "Rops, you're in charge of the department, right? She nodded. We need help, he said. Can you get Wife Beater here to the morgue right away, then have another Emmy come and handle the other bodies? But keep it quiet, Brian said. Don't tell anyone you're taking this guy back. Just load him up and go. Can you do that for us? She looked at the two men. That kind of action wasn't illegal, per se, but it wasn't protocol. If people started questioning her decisions, and those questions got back to the mayor's office, it would damage her shot at permanently taking over Metz's job. But at the same time, Pookie and Brian had never asked her for anything like that before. They seemed desperate. That's not how we do things, she said. I could make it happen, but before I go off the reservation, you have to tell me what's going on. We can't, Brian said. Just do this for us. It's important. It's important and so is your health, Brian. So is your sanity. You guys want something from me, I want something from you. I need to know more. Brian's eyes hardened. It's best you don't. Just trust me. She shook her head. You guys are asking me to do something that could jeopardize my career. So cut the let's protect the delicate flower bullshit. Convince me. Brian stared at her, then looked over at Pookie. Pookie shrugged. Brian turned back to Robin, looked at her over the body on the ground between them. We think Chief Zhao and Rich Verdi could be part of a cover-up, he said. She's protecting someone involved with the murders of Oscar Woody, Jay Perlar, and maybe even Bobby Pigeon." She could also be involved in a cover-up of those Golden Gate slasher murders. Brian and Pookie both looked intense, focused. They weren't kidding. But the chief of police? Covering up murders? Why would Zhao do something like that? We don't know, Pookie said. We only have theories and don't have time to go into them now. If Zhao or Sean Robertson or Rich Verdi shows up here, we'll lose the chance to learn more before they shut us out. We need a good look at this arrow. Please, get this guy back to the morgue and start the autopsy immediately. Autopsies weren't usually done at night. Bodies collected in the evening went into the storage area for the M.E.s to work on the following morning. Another deviation from the norm. Another potential question about her reliability as the next chief medical examiner. Not so long ago, she had trusted Brian Clauser more than she trusted anyone in her entire life. Maybe he wasn't the most emotional creature in the world, but he was a world-class cop. He wouldn't ask for this if he didn't believe it was absolutely necessary. She nodded. All right, I'll take the body back, then send someone else to pick up the other two. Meet me at the morgue in an hour. Brian smiled at her. It was forced, but it was still a smile. He and Pookie walked off, giving Robin room to do her job. CHAPTER 63 THE HUNT Rex stopped walking. He knelt to the sidewalk and leaned against a building wall. He sat very still. Rex waited. A block ahead, a boy in a dark sweatshirt stopped and looked back. His head moved. His eyes searched. But after a few seconds, the boy turned away and kept moving down Laguna Street. Rex waited a few seconds. Then he followed. Even in the rain and the wind, Rex smelled something that made his brain buzz, made his chest all vibrate He smelled blood. Alex's blood. Marco was probably dead. Rex felt sad about that. Marco had been a nice guy. He had obeyed. Rex had watched the brief fight between Marco and the man in black. Then that arrow hit Marco in the chest. And just after that, Rex saw Alex running away. Maybe Rex could have helped Marco, but he could not, would not let Alex Panos escape. Rex had followed Alex, using the night, the rain, the wind, and the blankets to stay as hidden as possible. He couldn't believe how well the blankets worked. When he did pass people on the sidewalk, they steered clear. No one wanted to talk to a stinky bum. Rex was a shadow like those black panthers in the jungle that moved so quiet no one saw them. He had nowhere to go. The cops would know he'd killed Roberta, so he couldn't go home. He couldn't go back to Marco's basement. What if Marco had ID on him with that address? The cops would look there, too. Rex didn't even have a place to sleep. And he didn't care, because sleep didn't matter. What mattered was the hunt. Rex felt alive. Rex felt strong. Rex felt like he could walk all night and into the next day. Sooner or later, Alex Panos would stop. And then, Rex would make him pay.
0: You have been listening to Nocturnal by Scott Sigler, performed by Phil Giganti, produced by Empty Set Entertainment. The Nocturnal audiobook was directed and engineered by Corey Young.